So I uh, approached you with a very bad idea. And, yes. And unfortunately, to my surprise, um, you and at least one other person actually got excited about this, uh, what oh, I would call yeah. shitty idea, mm -hmm. which was the Dry Pussy Podcast. Now, Welcome you've known me for a little while. I'm a pretty dry podcast. guy. I like dry humor, and I study mathematics for fuck's sake. So I thought, okay, it'd be fun. I, I mean, as of recent, I have a little bit of savage in me. And uh, recently speaking, okay. yeah, recently speaking, this is a new addition to my whole uh, <laughs> whatever persona. But uh, I thought it'd be really cool if I could have like a consistent set of some of these, some of these things, some of these conversations I already like recording to be specifically about sexuality. Because the way that I discuss it, maybe it's unusual for uh, oh, yeah, non mathematicians. Yeah. <laughs> non-mathematicians <laughs> no i think it's definitely important to talk about subjects that are extremely taboo such being sexuality um because it often gets you seem people seem or people are condemned when they talk about sex openly and um a year ago, actually, one of my good friends, uh, no names mentioned, um, I met her in L.A. at a um, open mic called the Tuesday Night Project. And essentially, Tuesday Night Project is a community of Asian LGBT people in L.A. Hmm. And um, so she actually had this huge movement that she was advocating for. That being, it was called Free the Nipple. Free the Nipple, okay. Free the Nipple, and she essentially would walk around shirtless. She'd walk around shirtless in public and um, braless, of course. Wait a minute. So I thought, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I thought Free the Nipple was just without a bra. She actually yeah, yeah. went without a shirt as well? <laughs> I mean, that's pretty extreme. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, sure. it shouldn't be extreme, admittedly, but it is pretty extreme. Yeah. That's even for free the nipplers. Yeah, I was very, uh, I was, I was very open to her idea. And for her, it was, it's been about like two or three years since she's been doing that. And essentially, she, um, documents the times that she gets arrested in public for not wearing a shirt. Yeah. Um, and she's went to a lot of different music festivals. She's went to, you know, coffee shops, you know, the mall, the park, and people are disturbed and they call the police. Yeah. And essentially, uh, by one of the constitutional laws, um, you know, females and males are meant, are supposed to hide their genitals. Yeah. And if you do not hide your genital genitals, that's a crime or fel felony, right? Hmm. Um, but she took her shirt off, and boobs are not technically genitals. Okay. So for her, she wanted to, you know, support this movement of feeling comfortable in your own skin and feeling that boobs shouldn't be sexualized. She felt like sex in itself was a very taboo and sexualized <laughs> subject. Yeah. Right? So there's two arguments to that. One is, you know, when we throw around, like, words like dick and vagina in public, like, when we're, you know, like, you know, just exchanging very, like, sexual jokes, yeah, we're desexualizing it the more we mention it. Right? Okay. 
And uh, we remove the negativity and the negative stigma around these words. Like, you know, sex and everything in relation to sex is known to be, is supposed to be uh, non-taboo. I mean, it's supposed to be very hidden. Like, it's supposed to be concealed. It's like between two people, a love affair in secret, right? Yeah. Or even in a relationship. Like, PDA, for example, some people are not for it. Because it's a part, it's, sex essentially is vulnerability. Hmm. It's tied to vulnerability. And it's tied to trust. People want to hide that part of them because they don't want to be vulnerable. Right. right? So that's why, that's where, where, like, the taboo stems from. It's not that it's bad. It's just that it has to be preserved. So, so... The second way that I look at it is, or like, you know, the cons to desexualizing sex and sexuality is um, losing the essence of the matter, right? So tying it back to economics, the exposure to something or an idea or a product or a service, the more you use it, the more you exchange or the more you bring it up or it appears in your life, you experience it, you intake, you take it in. And um, as you do it more and more so, it's like the marginal benefit decreases. Okay. Right? So now if you see every girl walking around with no shirt and she has boobs sticking out, boobs are no longer going to be, a, you know, like a source of attraction. Right. It's not going to be seen as, you know, something of pleasure as much as it used to be. Right. Right. So even in other instances, like you look at um, Muslim woman and the idea of the hijab or modesty, like why, you know, why do they wear a headscarf? And this is one of their arguments. They want to preserve that beauty and make sure it's hidden so that when it's revealed, the experience is much more delightful. Right. That it's taken with like the marginal benefit that it's supposed to be at and it was never decreased in the past Hmm, okay so the con to this is that when we throw around these words it's like sex isn't seen as sacred and romantic anymore it's just seen as like oh okay right you know it ruins the essence of it yeah so that's those are the two arguments i have for that yeah yeah I think that um, it can also increase the essence of, of sex and of mm-hmm. attraction when you're no longer being hijacked biologically or psychologically. So if you think that, um, yeah, seeing some breasts, it like overwhelms you to such an extent that you can't manage yourself. <laughs> well, maybe you don't even like the person then, <laughs> right? Whereas if you could just see the breasts on day one, then, yeah. you know, <laughs> which sounds one. weird, but yeah. then, then then maybe what you would be attracted to is something behind that initial, like, biological attractor. That initial advertisement isn't as useful. And now it's the person themselves. Right. So you're saying the exposure of, you know, like, a physical or, like, a, you know, like, sexual, physical parts um bring more attention to the person and the personality that's what i think yeah and and that's one that's another benefit of speaking openly in public about things like you know you mm. want to fuck whatever <laughs> <laughs> 
because <laughs> because then um then it's easy to distinguish the infatuation from the actual um attraction to a person. Mm. I mean right. everyone knows like if someone is particularly easy then you might be attracted to to them when you otherwise wouldn't have if you felt like you had to fight for it. Yeah. Um but that personality might shine through if, you know, for instance, the free the nipple campaign right. is successful. If everyone could just like be if they were normalized to seeing breasts or they were normalized right. to a lot of sexual things that right now are deal breakers. Hmm. Right. So it's it's interesting that you bring up like the fact that exposure to the body kind of brings more about personality. I think so. It could. Ah, that's I, I wanna see that happen though. Like I wanna see I wanna see not because I fully support the idea of walking freely with nothing on. Uh it's just that when that does happen, it's like it's not even that. They're gonna try to find things that are sexy. Or mm. it's like, oh, okay, like for example, um it's it's like yeah, it's like okay, well there is nothing that so okay, for example, um promiscuousness, like there are different like attires and apparel uh that that are very seducing or se- seductive. Right. Um so a long time ago before I think believe I believe like the 80s or the 90s, um they actually brought back stockings. And hmm. it was due to the war, the fact that um, or especially, you know, like in the winter time, they would wear pants or long skir- skirts for women. Okay. But then do- during the war, because they had less of a supply for fabric and clothing, they decided to improvise with their style. Right. So they shortened the dress. Um, but, you know, in the winter time to keep their legs warm, for example, it was stockings, but it was also um, a net uh, fishnet stockings. Okay. Fishnet, if you see today, if you go to a strip club, you're going to see women wearing fishnet because... Really? Yeah, like fishnet stockings, <laughs> right? Right, right, right. Yeah, because that's seen as prom- promiscuous. And the reason why it's so seductive and promiscuous, seductive is when you show elements of yourself or a person that are really attractive and then hide some of it. Yeah. So it's a it's about exposure and then hiding so that the other person is able to wonder and fantasize right right so you need the fantasy to be the key the key factor of driving this like flirtatious like the the charm in the beginning right so in essence with fishnet stockings it's the same way because it's the contrast your legs aren't fully showing see do you think Legs are hotter than fishnet stockings or fishnet stockings are hotter? Um, legs. But I think, you know, if I were, if it were a generation ago, it would have been fishnets. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or uh, fishnets make me think of sex, though. Legs. Exactly. They're just, you know. Exactly. I, so, I, I like legs, but that's, I don't necessarily think of sex. Yeah. So exactly. With fishnet stockings, there's a reason why you think of sex. 
It's because it's like a game that's being played. You're only able to see a little bit of skin, and then some parts are covered with the fishnet. Yeah. And it's like you have to work for it, or you mm -hmm. have to fight for it, and it's like a game that's being played. It's like a challenge. Yeah. All right? So you're seeing tiny bits of it, and you see the marginal benefit in that. <laughs> right? right so i mean that's that's like a really small detailed analogy uh or like an artistic analogy in in my sense but yeah um yeah like i personally think fishnets are are sexier compared to legs because there's nothing there's no challenge with legs because again it's easy well there's still a challenge yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, you, it's not you're not trying to imagine the legs or imagine. Yeah, exactly, um, yeah, cuz it's yeah. put out for you. So. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's pretty wild. Yeah. I mean, now that I'm thinking about fishnets, I'm thinking about a lot of different things, but I was going to say <laughs> with, with with legs, I think that has something to do with uh being in California because here's something I'm also attracted to, jeans. Jeans. Like, yeah. Just re like regular fucking jeans versus like skirts. I mean, it's like, it's cool. But oh, like, I'm thinking okay. like, oh, skater, California, like some girl who's going to soccer play. Yay area. Some shit like that. Well, I was from Southern, I'm, I grew up in Southern California. Mm. But yeah, I, I think of like these symbols that represent, I don't know, where whatever is nice to me versus like dresses. That doesn't turn me on at all, I don't think. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'd I mean, I like casual wear, and I think it's because of my youth, my younger years. Oh, that's that's really interesting. I mean, everyone has a different sense of what they like about a person's aesthetics that brings them to or gets them attractive, attracted. Um, even if you look at today's music videos versus like no, the no. O7. Have you seen the broccoli video? I haven't seen it. You need to see that video. Why? What's it about? <laughs> What's the broccoli? Just uh, just watch it after this, all right? But anyhow, okay. where were you going with that? Uh, music videos. Yeah. So essentially, like, you look at different music videos today versus look at Rihanna's Pondy replay or Shakira's Hips Don't Lie. They're really, really sexual, right? Right. They're very sexual. They bring out the legs. They bring out like, you know, the in in a way like the Latino spice. Um, but now you look at today's pop songs and they're also very sexual. Like the words are very sexual. So um there is a few songs I'm gonna list or name. Like You Don't Know Me, for example, uh essentially is about, you know, this girl and she is it's like a different kind of sexy like i'm too good for you i am an independent woman like you don't know me hmm. you know yeah like you're gonna work for it like i'm a badass and you should think that badassery is sexy like you shouldn't think that fangirling and affection is sexy you should think badassery and like standing alone is sexy you can admire me from afar but just don't yeah. touch me because you don't know me. Yeah, kind of. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's like a very condescending way of seducing. Yeah. Right? But when you look at the music video, all of these music videos are actually a part of this, this movement where it's like 
um, they're trying to be or go away from the idea that female body is like a like uh you know like um it's not supposed to be something meant to be objectified okay right or like there should be other alternatives so in this music video you would imagine just by hearing the words of a lot of these pop song uh racy 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 pop songs are like you know you're imagining like this girl in this music video singing and like doing like a runway walk in like the city or wherever right yeah but this one was actually filmed inside the home and this girl was she was like 7 or 8 years old wow she's 7 or 8 years old not the actual singer just the person in the music video and they just film her playing in the house like jumping over furniture it's daytime and she's mouthing the words like oh you don't know me Right, yeah. but the actual song is like really intense. Like you don't know me, and she's mount like she's saying the same words. Yeah, but it changed the entire like, uh, I guess like essence of the music video. Yeah, they're saying like no, it doesn't have to be like a hot like twenty one year old chick. It can just be like this little baby girl just saying like yeah, you don't know me, but it's still in like a sexual way, hmm. right? And also, you don't know what I am to become is a part of that message, it seems. Like, yeah, yeah you're, if, if you're, you, st- you still have the whole world ahead of you, so you don't have to, you know, twerk yeah. to get in a music video. Exactly, exactly. It was really in- interesting. So now I'm imagining, like, all the songs from, like, for example, like, Do You Remember from uh, by Jay Sean or Sparks by Hilary Duff, if they were done now like the music videos now mm-hmm. they wouldn't be or like it would be interesting to see them actually like go go with that movement and not use like sexualized human beings yeah right? yeah i think uh selena yeah okay you can continue <laughs> <laughs> going back to the fishnets going um, back to but going back to another music video, which is a really good example. Sure. Um, Selena Gomez um, with her, you know, new album or her previous album uh, with the song Sober and a few others from that album. Essentially, her music video was just her wearing this really, like, plain T-shirt mm-hmm. and just, like, you know, acting really sexy at home on a couch. Wearing like a really plain T-shirt, no makeup, nothing. Wow, that's that's essentially like them fighting against this this archetype or this stereotype of what sexy is. So yeah, yeah. and to me, uh, two things that you mentioned that I find really sexy are one that the casual mm-hmm. uh, person, and two the like independent person. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. That's like the highest level. Everything else is like, <laughs> where, what are you doing? Why are you doing all that? Yeah. Um, but anyhow, uh, what I meant to say about the fishnets, or not fishnets specifically, mm-hmm. but the idea there is um, our expectations when it comes to sex. I think that there's some correlation between uh, having these exaggerated desires and kind of having – negative experiences like it's it seems like this is what i mean Mm. it seems like an area where people don't want to be correct they don't want to have the right idea of of what's to come 
Right, right. Um, and I think that's what makes the fishnets work is they allow your, your imagination to go wild. Whereas if you just see the legs, that is, you know, that's, that's the real data. That should yeah. be what you want the most. Yeah. But instead it's like, well, I can't imagine, so I'm not really into it. Yeah. Or for example, <clears throat> and you, I know of a few friends um, whose friends are married and they're actually dealing with this issue that their husbands <clears throat> need to watch pornography mm. as they're having sex. Yeah. Because it's because for them, again, it was like the marginal benefit of the actual sex decreased so much yeah. that they resorted to something virtual that's not their woman to be get attracted yeah you know what i mean like that is when you know like things are evolving way too quickly and people are not dealing with what they're getting in the right way so like going back to the idea if everyone were to walk naked the the human body is is going to be seen as beautiful but then they're going to be like oh like this isn't getting me on yeah, but it could yeah. change their focus, as we mentioned. So the thing that gets them on might be that someone has a desire to fuck them rather yeah. than that they have nice breasts. Yeah. It could be like, oh, you chose me out of all of the other people that you right. could have chosen or things of that nature that you they value your personality, they value you know, your get down, the way that you live, right? whatever. Right. There are a lot of other things, but none of those things – None of those things get to take priority it's when we're obsessed with the, the psychological, biological reaction right. to like, we have a drive to procreate. And that's all that's happening when you're looking at someone's body. Right, exactly. It's not about like the pleasure. So like the pleasure of a platonic relationship. How do you make love platonically? Like that matters more, more so than making love physically. Hmm. For the long term, short term or... Doesn't long matter. term yeah that's how it seems to be i don't know uh, from experience but that's definitely how it seems to be like and, and i th i think uh, getting back to the expectations people actually don't want i think a lot of people don't want to even consider that because their idea of like some super fantasy just yeah. seems so much more appealing than the thing that actually most people might report to be the most appealing thing which is that platonic kind of right we still make love but we're platonic relationship right exactly i remember um like my ideal before any of the experience my the picture of sex in my head when i was going to have sex was would be me like in this bed, in the mountains, in a canopy with a lot of smoke and candles. And the person would be dressed up like a Prince Charming and it would be an amazing night. Wow. Yeah. But, like, that was the ideal that I had. If there was going to be candles, it's going to be so everything. Yeah. Like, it's as if without the candles, the sex wouldn't be as enjoyable. Right. But I was wrong. And so when the experience did happen, none of that was there. Like there is no, there were no mountains, there was no canopy. Like there, there wasn't anything external that was needed, except for the like, I, I guess like the erotic experience 
even when your eyes were closed. Yeah. Like you don't even have to see the person. It's just like the touch and the feeling and the sensual, um, you know, vibrations that yeah. that I got that were really good. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's pretty powerful. Why do you think you had that idea of the ideal uh, sex experience? The idea of the – yeah, that's – again, so it, like you said, it was like the whole sexual fantasy, right? It has to be – it's like as if those items, the, the art, those specific articles of clothing that the, you know, like the furniture – the place, the setting, the the smoke and the candles, it's like it added to the seduction yeah. of the person. Hmm. Meaning if that person didn't have that, it wouldn't be what it was. Yeah. But it was like I was wrong in, in that matter. So again, it's it's kind of like it's it's like a little bit of like a gold digger um who is not attracted to the actual person, but they're attracted to everything external of the person that they possess. Yeah. And that's not... In a way, you can say that, like, the the love comes... is real only for the externality of the person, though, not the actual person. Yeah. So they love everything but the person. Yeah. <laughs> but it seems like it's a good... It's a good thing to filter for if you're thinking about like security and mm -hmm. whether or not someone actually cares for you. So maybe you could say the amount of preparation that they've put in is a signal that there's someone worth meeting. Because right. a, a lot of times when I'm talking to somebody, I say like basically the only thing that's different – like if I – the way that we would speak about it in like middle school is like you like that girl or you like that guy or whatever you're right. attracted to. Um, but for me now it's that I think that you're a great candidate <laughs> as someone who I <laughs> want to meet. Candidate, you know yeah. what I mean? I, yeah. I, I want to I want to know more about you. Right. But I don't know what I think. It's a conditional statement now for me. Like if, you know, you turn out to be a cool person, then it's I'd likely like that I'll like you. I'd like to get you more. Yeah. But, but, but I don't more. know yeah. if I like you. That's the whole idea. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, yeah, my, my, uh, my ideal that has recently, I've finally shook it. It's so fucking <laughs> bad. So my, I mean, I still like spontaneity. Right. But my ideal was like, that basically I, I, I meet someone on the random and like just within some very small amount of time, mm -hmm. I just check off boxes like, all right, this person's yeah, check, you know, check, check. like they're yeah, all right. Check. They're a cool yeah. person. Cool enough. Let's fuck. And then that's like, that's like the best case scenario. And then worse than that would be like, I have to stalk somebody for a while. I have to mm. like, <laughs> you know, warm up to them. But the best case is like, this quick thing where yeah, yeah this spontaneous thing where the the, Both the of thing you that's hit satisfying yeah. what's that both of you hit it off very well you guys are perfectly in sync in that exactly. moment because i mean i mean i have standards but i also <laughs> i'm also thinking like what how many things matter really yeah you know what i mean so it, either i have them or i don't and if i do i'm a weird enough person where you would know pretty 
early if you weren't into me. Right. So uh, I just feel like, yeah, that's that's the uh, yeah that's, that's the benefit of being a little bit of an outlier. It's like yeah. more spontaneity, right? Yeah. Whereas now I don't really want that. In uh, fact, if it, yeah. if it were to happen today, it would be a little bit of a burden. Yeah. So it really depends where you are in life. So, for example, if you are a college student who is in the making of establishing themselves, right, and knowing what you want, what you don't want, where you are in life, what your mission is, what your vision is, and you don't ha- like your your it's like. It's like a branding of a company. You haven't branded yourself yet. You're in the right. making of branding yourself. Then like and of course you have the standards, but you need to be branded to be able to meet that person of your standards too. Right? right. So currently like all college students are in this place where it's like, heck yeah, I do have standards, but right now I can't really be with someone with those standards until I've branded myself fully. Yeah. So in the meantime, I do have sexual urges, though. Right. And I need to have them fulfilled for me to survive as a human being. So that's why we kind of resort to like, okay, like they can meet some of the standards here and there. Like they can be sexy. They can be smart. They don't necessarily have to be like super tolerant because it's a short term relationship slash one night stand. So therefore, you know, it's not really important. Like personally for me, last year that was me. I was, you know, I, I put myself in the category of a muse or like a mistress. Like I, um, I had short term affairs with a lot of older men at different times. Right. You'd go to a party, you play the seductress, you act like you're super interested in their business and you not only act interested, but you challenge them and you say like how. So this is where you kind of like go into their profession and you turn them on in their professional world. Right. Right. So you ask, you know, like certain questions about their industry and why do they actually like their industry or would they prefer another industry? Um, yeah. And and you give them things that they could offer offer or uh, what you can offer for them platonically speaking until they realize like, oh, my God, she's a really good asset, but she's also really sexy. Yeah. So <laughs> it depends on how how they put me. So it's either like you're either a one-time affair girl or you're a lifelong business partner, for example, or someone that I can uh you know like uh, vouch out for and help as well since she's a college girl. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, there's been different affairs like that where it's like I've learned so much about the way that men work, right? So it's about, you know, making sure that you you have a good balance of being independent, but also making sure that you care for them too. Yeah. But know that you are not going to be cared for since it's a short-term relationship. So... That's when you have to really assess like, oh, is this even worth my time? Because for me, I learned about men. I learned about their business. I learned about what their inspirations, inspirational stories were. 
right? And for them, they felt good because they're being the dominant upper hand teaching me these things. Right, right. And in return, you know, like having an affair is the best, uh, you know, like incentive for both sides, right? Right, right. So, but then it's also knowing that, knowing, you know, like the hard line and a fine line of knowing when you're getting exploited, right? Right. So... You're, you know that you get exploited if you're not met halfway and you can sense when the person is 25 or like, I guess, 40% and you're 60%. Hmm. So if that happens, then the muse is going to leave. Right. So the muse in, in, in her own right or the mistress in her own right is going to demand for respect. And has her own status of being that mistress, like the the high end mistress, like you know. Um, whereas a girlfriend or a wife, they have to meet halfway, right? Yeah. So, and that was because I was in a very different state of mind. For me, it was like I'm not looking for a long term relationship right now because I'm not giving my all. All right, I'm only giving certain parts of myself and I'm also learning at the same time. Right? It's like a mini it's like a mini internship like <laughs> a mini sex internship. How about that? How about right? that? Yeah. <laughs> right? Um yeah, so again, it really depends on where you are. And for me, I totally had standards, but I am not going to pursue. In fact, when I met someone who was in my like uh in my standard, I actually friend zoned them. Hmm. I would friend zone them because I know and I knew that platonic relationships hold more value um, because you connect with them more personally based on your personalities and it's long term more than a lovely affair. Right, right. (laughs) I agree with that. Right, because then... What the affair does, or like the physical affair does, it decreases a marginal benefit of the personality sometimes. It, can, it definitely it's can. Like a, it's like a tug of war. Yeah. And the, yeah. also when you've experienced emotional pain with someone, then it's kind of harder to get things back yeah. running. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it, like relationships are a huge science. It's definitely a big science of um, – it's, it's one of the – Best ways to train yourself to learn about compromise, long-term relationships, hmm. for sure. Because there is never, ever going to be... In the beginning, the, the best and the funnest part of a relationship is always going to be the beginning. Because that's when you know you don't know if you like the person or not. And then you start liking them even more and more with whatever they're giving to you. Yeah. And then it's like a, it's like a push and pull like oh does she really care about me does he really care about me and then you get flattered by the idea that they do right, right. And then in the beginning it's like it's like a, a level of uncertainty it's like this game of sexual desire seduction and uncertainty of knowing where is this going to go Yeah right and then next thing you know, you enter the second phase where it's secure, but it gets it either gets super boring or it gets or it becomes a roller coaster in which 
you realize that the person has really like a different personality compared to you or they have a different way of loving or their language is very different, right? So for example, if you have two dominant people in one relationship, you're going to learn a lot about compromise. Both sides are going to learn about compromise. Yeah. Like very much, it's like training grounds. It will crush your ego and usually like... The seductress is always, boy or girl, is always going to be the one that will be approached. They will never initiate to approach. Hmm. So if both of them are dominant seduct, you know, like you know, like mistresses, or you know, like a a guy who's also a, a good at seducing, mm-hmm. who's going to be the first one to approach? Or after an argument, who's going to be the one that says sorry first? Yeah. Right? So there's like so many ups and downs, right? Or different social settings too. Like, oh, I don't feel like I cannot connect with these people, but you do. So I'm going to leave this party now because I don't feel like I can connect. You can do whatever you want. Just know I'm not going to be there. So there's also like the differentials in uh, you know like um like you know talking right ways of connection like who your communities are right mm-hmm. so sure they can be di- a lot of people argue yeah you should make sure that you're with someone who matches the same ideologies as you who matches the same way of living with you but just know that it's going to be boring because there is no challenge that's being set and you're not learning how to be a more tolerant person. And tolerant, like you learning how to be a more tolerant or compromising person is you actually showing that you really, really, really love them. Yeah. When you guys are from two different worlds and you're fighting to be with together because you actually love them a lot. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So. What about um, becoming more tolerant through having a series of friends who are different from you rather than being in a relationship with someone who's different from you. Hmm. That's interesting. Tolerant with friends. So personally for me, I'm in this point or as you grow older, you're going to learn how to be more socially selective. And I think everyone can agree with this, like knowing when their time is valuable. So all the parties that are not worth it, they're not going to go. Yeah. All the friends or like all the people or acquaintances that are not worth it, they're not going to try or talk to them. Right. Yeah. So it really depends. Um, I would say your question is more related towards childhood friends. Mm. Childhood friends, because when you guys grow older, you guys are, you know, if you grow up in different states, however, because your childhood was so strong with them and you guys carried a really strong bond. Yeah, yeah. Um, And when you're older and you're in different places, but you still hold that bond, but they're really different from you, that's also tolerant too. Right. Right? Because otherwise you wouldn't run into someone as an adult. And want to spend time with them. Right, right. If you felt like it was too much effort. Right, exactly. Exactly. So that's really interesting because, for example, like when two adults or like two two adults hit it off as friends, right? Right. 
and there it's platonic and there is no it's completely platonic and you guys have some common interests let's say on video games keeping the story and example simple and then later you like stop playing video games or it's not even that both of you play video games but that's the only common interest that you guys have yeah right versus and maybe like favorite food keeping it super simple sure um yeah and then later you get bored because those are the only two common interests that you have and you're intolerant so for example the person's super messy you're really clean or they are a Republican, you're a Democrat. Things that you don't into- uh, tolerate, right? Yeah. So it's, it, again, relating to economics, is it really worth playing video games with this person anymore and knowing everything else about them that doesn't relate to you? You're going to easily walk away. Yeah. But then, for example, if you were a, you know, two adults met, and they entered into a sexual relationship, a sexual romantic love relationship. And let's say like the difference in religion. For example, religion is an important important to you and for them they're really uh, they're they're from a different religion as well. Okay. Or for example, race and uh, ethnicity. Um yeah, so these, you know, like these different so, you know, for example, but then both of you hit it off very well with a nonverbal connection as well as with a sense of c- compromise. Yeah. Right? But these, like, in terms of religion, you're not going to tolerate that person's, those, uh, the person's beliefs. Right. But you're, it's still, like, someone would easily just leave the relationship, but because there's a factor of a sexual relations happening, which causes all the emotional, you know, attachment. Yeah. You're not going to leave. Right. So it's really interesting how sexual relations get like, you know, like really makes two people uh, you know, uh, it it ma- uh, made uh, like two people connect really well. Yeah. 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 I think um I think that philosophical thought might have a similar property where even if I get bored of someone's like specific whatever interest. Mm-hmm. If I have that one common interest with them, I feel more confident that I could explore and right. find another common interest. But if it were something where like even if we have a bunch of common interests but we we met each other because of one video games. Right. Well, when that gets boring, how do we discover the other ones? How do we discover right. the things that both of us like? Um you know, I guess you could go to events and shit like that, you know, go to a basketball game together. Right, right. But the beauty of philosophical thought is you can just pretty much figure it out right. know, over tea. And then <laughs> and then from there, that's the new common interest. Right. That's so interesting. It's like Tinder. How is it like Tinder? Tinder because here's the thing. There is a part that's I'd say in my opinion, sure, there's so many relationships that were created or, you know, instigated from Tinder. Like Tinder was the mother of, you know, millennial era relationships. Sure. Right? Although I never had much success on Tinder. (laughs) I didn't have – yeah. So maybe both of us are going to be coming from a biased perspective. But the other perspective, like 
Uh, I had, I know of a couple that was married from Tinder. Really? Yeah. How long have they been together? For a year, two years, or a year, two years now. When did Tinder come out? Never mind. Anyhow. Or you look at um, Airbnb CEO, Brian Chesky, and Alyssa Patel. They started um, Tinder when it was not, it was just an app for techies. It was a really, it was like a small community of techies. Nobody knew what it was Hmm. at the time. And they matched on there. And they are married now, too. And they're the, you know, like one of the greatest power couples well, out I there. Well, I think, the, the, so there it seems like the bigger factor was that only techies were on it. Yeah. So it was kind of a farmer's only type of thing back then. And it's right. likely that if they're, you know, super into tech, everyone, basically everyone there had a common interest. Yeah. If it was only techies. Yeah. It, it was yeah. really interesting. Um and it wasn't necessarily like a common interest. Alyssa Patel actually, she uh, was she grew up in Silicon Valley. Uh, she worked for this, you know, company, uh, this tech company, and then she realized she didn't like it, and she decided to, um, you know, switch her interest into art. Hmm. And so now she's a very known figure for her amazing artwork that she does, whereas Brian Chesky actually enrolled in this art school a long time ago before he went into tech and opened up uh, Airbnb. Right. So went to uh, Rhode Island School of Design, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So in essence, it's like, it's their the common interest. It's like she drifted away from that, whereas he switched from what she was interested in. Okay. So it's interesting well, to see. Both, yeah, you're right. They had, yeah, they weren't really all that. The art was common, but that was kind of after the fact. Yeah. So it was like they're filling. They were filling each other's deficiencies. Maybe. Like, yeah. I mean, if that's how you want to think of sex, sure. yeah so that's really interesting the other point i wanted to make about tinder you're going in and meeting someone knowing it's very it's very much like you're gonna know like you're on a date you're seeing whether you like this person it's very practical and there is no like, in my opinion, there's less seduction involved hmm. or, like, less uncertainty. That's why it's less thrilling. It's very much like, do I like you? We're going to talk about um, things that we like. Let's talk about music. Let's talk about art. Let's talk about school, um, how we love slash hate our jobs. Uh, I'm just looking for a partner that I can... You know, like it's it's not necessary. So the first date is always going to be common interest. Second, third, fourth, or like tenth. Tenth is actually when you're really going to be like, "How tenth? do you love me?" Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Or like it really depends on the couple, right? Maybe yeah. fifth day in, they're going to be like, "Okay, like you don't know how to love me, right?" Or your ways of loving are different. Your love language is different from mine. Right. Right. So a person can be so with Alyssa and Brian, 
it's not about the common interest because they Brian isn't Brian's interested in art but not as much as tech whereas Alyssa vice versa. Right. It's more about their love language and the way they communicate. It's it's yeah. like what's beneath the surface. It's mm-hmm. not about like oh, you know, like I'm not into sports <laughs> at all. Yeah. But if your partner is into sports, cool. Mm-hmm. That's not going to be a main factor. Yeah. Well, I so. would say that the love language is an interest. Um, it's it's a factor that's just not normally categorized as an interest, but um, your desires arguably are yeah. a part of the communication, um, no different from which video game you like. Right. Uh, but a lot of them are underneath the surface and, and are not spoken about explicitly. What's your love language? You know, you're just yeah. saying, hey, you know, I kind of... I'm interested in people doing these things, but in order to get that information from you, I don't need to talk. I just need to no. see how you yeah. behave around right, me. Right, right, exactly, <laughs> so exactly. It's, it's it's like a, it's still a communication. Right, it's just you know, it's not verbal. Yeah, maybe and it is verbal. Yeah, it definitely like even when they say it's verbal, it can be a false claim. Like yeah. for example, like <laughs> I. My physical love language, I mean, my love language is physical touch. Next thing you know, the partner is like, you know, like, I just want to see you once a week. Right. (laughs) And they could both be true. It's just a matter of it's better if you just directly collect the data than it is hearing someone's idea of what they're like. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Another thing, like, let's like comparison of... Couples meeting on Tinder versus no Tinder, right? So right. it's like going out on a date with Tinder. You know, like you like this person or you have an idea that you like this person. Let's see if this works. Whereas, whereas when you, I would say like you're not even scouting. So in real, I wouldn't say like real life, but um, you know, like what like alternatives outside of tinder you're meeting the person because you like had a common ground like you met at school you met at a party even at a party that's not enough of two people situating themselves together like or going to the bar that's a place for hookups and sometimes, rarely, accidentally, occasionally is when a relationship comes out of that. Yeah. Right? But, you know, like two people working together, uh, roommates even, that's mm. a thing. Yeah. Like, I've, like this past week at my hacker home, like, you know, like that, that is real. Hacker home? Yep. <laughs> yep. The hacker home through Airbnb. But yeah. And you like it's interesting to see people in their own single mindset, and then all of a sudden, this rush of unexpected attraction comes into play. Hmm. And then you like you like them, but you want to make sure they like you too. And so you're playing this game in the beginning, saying, "I matched you <laughs> <laughs> on Tinder." So that aspect isn't on there. Whereas on Tinder, it's very direct pert. Like, I matched you. I liked you. So that's super weird. In real life, that's the weirdest thing is somebody trying to communicate. 
I matched you. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> Especially women to men, I feel. Because yeah. a lot of women feel like there's something wrong with that. Oh, the approaching and yeah. the initiation to approach. Yes, that is really it's it's seen yeah, like I have to say within my own family, my you know, a uh, person or this person a female approached the guy um for a marriage proposal. Oh wow. So that's very daring and to this day, our family is very, you know, like we all talk about it. Like, whoa, that that girl had balls, you know. <laughs> <laughs> she was going for it. So, yeah, it definitely shouldn't. I, I have I have a lot of trouble with it myself. Uh, being a woman, I was always taught like, okay, you know, the guy um, is meant to approach. Or even if he is in your league, never approach him. Hmm. You wait to be approached. Yeah. And it's because you don't want to seem like a um like a shameless uh, girl. It's it's weird traditionalism that plays in. Yeah. Or for example, like a girl admitting the fact that she's slept around more so compared to the norm. Yeah. What is the norm? What is the norm? <laughs> is there a norm? I mean, there is, there is a, there is po- polyamory, which is very, it's, uh, I guess, in in some way, very trendy. Uh, being that you're in open relationships with many people, um, I at one point was a bit polyamorous last year, and then for I, I believe that polyamorous people have to have a lot of love that's that's number one requirement self-love and a lot of love to give Mm. a lot and um to time management (laughs) (laughs) time management yeah Uh, yeah i don't want to get on that i need some time management so that's not for me (laughs) um well I, what I mean by that is I don't know if I could manage it long term, but I don't know. I don't know what the fuck I, what I'm going to do sexually. Sexually. <laughs> Think of uh, quality versus quantity. What if you have both? It's like spreading thin versus spreading thick in extracurriculars. Mm. Yeah. It's like one side hoe is DECA, the other side hoe is DASB. You have a third side hoe at the HEFAs. You learn different things from each girl, um, but you want to commit yourself to one that you resonate with more so. <laughs> That's the tricky part. <laughs> it's like, How many side hoes can one person handle? You have to test it, right? Yeah, but it's not like a threshold that you push yourself to break, <laughs> JP. Well, it seems like, it seems like for any growth pattern, you have to be uncomfortable in the initial stages and then, you know, you become more used to how things are. You learn the new rules and then, you know, 
who knows? You're uh, yeah. You got a love to a lot of love to give. You're good at time yeah. management. Yeah, it really depends on your state of mind. Like last year, for me, I was a pro. Like I was a pro, JP. <laughs> like next <laughs> I day, don't doubt you. Next day, it was like bye bye. You know. Um, but yeah, and I'd never take it personally if you're with other polyamorous people. You know, it's like you know what, like. You can sleep with someone tomorrow. It's fine. Like, I slept with someone on Friday and a different person on Saturday at one point in my life. Sure. So, yeah. But now, if I do that now, I know that would crush my self-esteem and my Mm. sense of dignity. Because it matters about, like, why you're giving yourself up to different people. And you're only giving a little bit of yourself up for just a little bit of them. Hmm. Versus one whole person that can satisfy everything. Yeah. It just depends on what stage you're at. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, it really depends. Depends on your state of mind. Just because you were a pro at it once doesn't mean that you can be a pro at it forever. Yeah. Yeah, I'm still in the middle of an experiment of several. (laughs) So I don't know what the fuck's going to happen, like I said. But um, I've been taking the like incremental approach of like mm-hmm. that's my belly the incremental <laughs> i've been taking the approach of like it, it like for today you know i'll just react to whatever happens today mm-hmm. <laughs> but um i'm beginning to think that i actually do need to eventually come up with some kind of plan cuz my like i said my old ideal is kind of burnt out so i don't i haven't really thought like yeah what do i really want i've just been thinking eh, well today whatever you know then tomorrow <laughs> Yeah. I fo- I'm focusing on a lot of stuff, all right? Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah. I just don't want any problems. Yeah, it requires being in a flow state, but also being less critical hmm. about the everyday. Because if you're critical, you're going to think about it not incrementally. You're going to think about what happened yesterday or a week ago today hmm. and find out the significance of that. And that will drive you nuts. So I suggest if you are polyamorous, you really, really just be in the present. Yeah. Yeah, Well, you know, it is what it is. When did you – so were you always kind of uh, sexually different from your peers? You Um, seem to be pretty liberated. Oh, yeah. Um, Sexually different from my peers at the time being, yes. Um, Last year – yeah, it was, yeah, definitely, uh, it really depends, I mean, I didn't really ask, or, yeah, number one, let's backtrack, I didn't really have a lot of close peers at the time, (laughs) or had time to have close peers, so, but if I did, like, now I do, and none of them, I would say, like, I'd say a good 70% of them are not even in relationships right now. So they're all focused on themselves, which is much more of a priority. Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. Speaking of expectations, I remember being a kid thinking about sex and like just debunking stuff over and over and over again as I got older. Like uh, a big thing in the black community is that everything that's not like hyper-masculine is gay. Like, that's the binary right. for men. So I remember, like, there would be cases where I'd be sitting down with other, 
older men or whatever, and a girl would walk by. And like everyone would turn to look at her ass, and I would like not be phased. I'd be playing with something or whatever, or just thinking and about the universe. And they're like, "What's wrong with you? You're not attracted to like fat asses, <laughs> right?" So I'm like, I mean, I'm not gonna say no because you know I don't want to. It's like there's a physical right. threat too, but at the same time, like there was a lot of shit that was in my head when I was younger because I was a young student because I fucking cared about. Like, you know you're I mean? attracted to mathematics and numerical reasoning. Yeah, like, that I, turned you on more. Well, I don't know if it turned <laughs> me on, but it was definitely interesting. And yeah. there are certain things that are, like, deal breakers. Even art in some places. You know what I mean? There are places yeah. still today where if you're drawing in your notebook in fifth grade, somebody might beat you up for that. So, um, you know, as a young contemplative, a young right, creative. Right, right. I, I I always felt like, man, what is this homosexuality thing that I don't know anything about, but everyone seems to be telling me about? Huh. And then, like, in middle school, high school, I had gay friends. Actually, I guess it was high school. And uh, it was, like, such so mind-ripping for me to think, like, wow, there are people who are attracted to men. Like, I've never been attracted to men. I thought, like, liking pink was gay. I thought, like, right. I thought all these other things were, and it turned out none of it had anything to do with homosexuality. So it was, like, in that, like, that hyper, right, uh, right. I don't know, ruminating was, right. like, a big part of my world. And And looking back, some of the things that I would do with women was a part of that. Like, I'm, I was trying to prove things to myself or right. to, like, my peers. What what relations with women did you have or what parts uh, did you think that you, it appeared that like you were um, trying to discover, explore homosexuality? Uh, I just felt like – I just felt like the, the norm was that people were fucking way earlier than I was and that was already a red flag to most people. Mm. So, so I mean, I, looking back, like I said, nothing was wrong. But the whole time I thought, like, something is very wrong. Ah, um, okay. So, so it, yeah. So it probably had to do much with culture. Like, African-American men oh, were yeah. just like, yo, if you're not husky or if you're not, <laughs> you know – if you're not, you know, like going and initiating and going and chasing after women, you're gay. Right. That was like by default. You by couldn't default. even be asexual for You couldn't even be asexual. You couldn't do anything, all right? You're stuck. Those were your they only options. They just like put you then. into the gay pile. Like. Exactly. So I I think uh like I remember playing football when I was mm -hmm. in high school and I think a part of my motivation was like I need to like bulk up. <laughs> Like I ended up not doing it and I stuck with track, which was really fun. Right. And and then I – things turned out better and better for me through track. But like, yeah, there's just – I just remember there being a lot of weirdness around it. And it's like one of right. the funniest parts of being an adult. Right. It's like, you know, out of all the weird sexuality things, for me as a male, it was like worrying about being, being gay was the number yeah. one weird sexual thing about being a kid. That's so interesting. So two things. First, there is this book I recommend, but I haven't even read myself. Um, <laughs> and I don't recommend it because it has good points necessarily, but I recommend it just to deconstruct um, what the feminine and male role is. So the book is called 
um, the superior man and superior woman. Or, yeah. And essentially, uh, I read an excerpt from a friend. And this book, this book that everyone loves, says that there is a masculine and feminine energy that both need to embody when they're in a straight relationship. And that is that the masculine energy is known to be one of being the protector and the, um, you know, the upper hand or not the upper hand, but the one who gives without expecting. Yeah. Whereas the female is meant to receive the love Receive the affection and turn it into love and be very affectionate and intimate. Hmm. So the the idea of giving and receiving, right? And it also said that the woman should feel safe and protected. Yeah. Right? So there is an there is like the underlying message is very traditional, meaning, okay, like we're already under the automatic assumption that men feel safe, so therefore they should provide safety, and women don't feel safe or protected, so they should not only like they shouldn't um they shouldn't find safety by themselves. They should get someone else and rely on some guy to give it to them. Right. Which is very negative in my opinion. It's like you have to make sure, of course, both genders are very different. Mm -hmm. They think different psychologically. Claims say that females are more emotional However, I mean, you see homosexual people and men want to feel like they're loved, that they are protected as well. Right. And I think men care about what other men think of them, too, in a way that's not really, right. it's not fully uh, described. Like, people don't describe that as emotional, but I think that's the same thing. Right. Um and plus, this idea that, like, a woman needs to go out to get protection, I think the context is that for many Western societies, only men could right. own property. So if you right. do need a place to live, you can't you can't have your own legally. Right. Then that's probably the reason why things had turned out that way, right. rather than some innate differences. Whereas, yeah, whereas now a female can work, make millions, you know, own three or four apartments in San Francisco, and she feels protected. Or yeah, in th yeah. in that way, yeah. right? But speaking of emotional protection, that too. So it's interesting where society is going. And men are actually, you know, coming out and saying, hey, like, we are expected to feel or be, you know, people of security. We're ex expected to ignore our emotions or, you know, secretly be emotional and not be public about them as much as females. Yeah. Why is that the case? Yeah, and it's harmful to a lot of people. It's very harmful. And the second second thing I want wanted to, you know, like talk about was yeah, it, it like a lot of the things that happen in our childhood affect us heavily in, you know, like in the present and the now. Uh, you know, 
for example, you growing up in a very, you know, like a uh, masculine society and you would just do your own thing. You didn't assimilate or you didn't uh, like think of it in that way to assimilate and fit in. Right. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you were, you know, homosexual. Right. It just meant that because you don't have these qualities, you're just a guy who doesn't have those qualities of being like, you know, um, I guess. Yeah. Like the certain qualities that a, a guy would have or are supposed <laughs> to have. Right. Yeah, yeah. And similarly for a female, for me. It's um like I'm struggling with certain uh like I talked to my sister about this and she so we we always have this heated discussion about feminism and intersectional feminism and the idea of patriarchy. And she said it's true fem you know like females feel you know because they're you know uh physically weak therefore there is a lot of you know a stigma around the fact that they need to feel protected emotionally as well. I disagreed with that. I said, you know, emotionally speaking, it's like we can carry the man of an ego. I mean, ego the, e the ego of a man and still, you know, and still feel like we're okay. Right. And then we talked about patriarchy and she said, is patriarchy inherently evil? Is it? Is it? And we look at our society around us, and as much as we're saying we're in a progressive society, and yes, we are, for the past centuries, it's been run by men. Like, our civilization has been run by men. Our businesses, most of them have been started by men. Our corporations, our construction was physically built by men. So we can't say, we can't deny that patriarchy in, in, in inherently is evil it's just the idea that for example there is a there is a major population or like the you know lar largest population in california is that of asian people okay. is that bad no it's not bad they're just a different uh ethnicity in an american uh state so similarly with patriarchy it's there is just a larger population of men who are controlling businesses and, you know, the entire world, essentially. But it's not like, but it becomes bad when they attempt to control and dominate a woman when she's starting her own business or when she's running for candidacy and there's subtle sexism that's played. That's where the problem lies. It's... Right. Yeah. It's general prejudice that's the real problem. Yeah. It could be anything. It could be people who have green hats that are all suppressing everyone else. <laughs> it would still be the same problem. Yeah. And it's not the green hats. It's what's happening. Right. So right. patriarchy is fine, but the impact, like the pre prevention of empowerment of women is what is bad. Yeah. Because that could happen even if you had males leading businesses. Right. Is that uh, you could have a like equitable way of dealing right. with a lot of these issues. Right. Exactly. So well, it's, it's unlikely unless you're directly controlling it. It's unlikely that you're going to have exactly equal levels for anything. The best thing is to have a policy that doesn't depend on who's the person in office, but just operates based off of a system of rules that work. Right. Right. 
or, you know, like the idea of coming to a democratic consensus is very important, but it's very complicated to do. Knowing who has more influence because of their credibility or different factors of their work experience. So it, it gets, it gets very, very complicated. But yeah, going back on to that second, um, point, uh, being, you know, in patriarchy, as a proud feminist, I, you know, I fight and I am totally against the sex- sexist exploitation of women. But I'm not against the, you know, like, I guess, like, the progression of society through males who see a future with both, uh, like, females and males having equality in terms of finance as well as uh, uh, psychologically speaking as well as socially. Yeah. Right? And another thing, so, like, in terms of homosexuality, the switching of genders um, – and being an aspect of that. Um, so, for example, you look at drag queens and they it, it's like a it's like a style. It's a way of life for them. Yeah. And they consider themselves female. Mm-hmm. But it's very it's like a very materialistic switch. Because um they feel so like when you see like a, a you know like a, a person who switches their gender oftentimes are a lot of those youtubers for example i don't know about these youtubers yeah there is just a lot but there yeah these youtubers who do these makeup video uh like these guru like these makeup guru youtube channels and they're a bunch of they're gay guys who know how to put makeup really well but you look at their attitudes and or like specifically one i forgot his name but essentially he's a very proud uh gay person mm-hmm. and uh it came with this when he switched he began to put he, like when he switched from male to female he began to put more makeup and he began to like talk like oh my gosh like totally yeah. like this is so cute and i feel so hurt right now it's like it's like the switching of the gender gave them the ticket to being the way they wanted to be. You can be a male and still act like that. Yeah. But I mean, maybe now I have no experience with this, all right? But maybe they feel that um, they won't suffer as many consequences if they physically change something first. Yeah. So that's why that's the that's where the fundamental problem lies. Like you like men should be like it's okay to be a guy and still wear makeup and still feel you know more emotionally expressive right right they shouldn't be so it's like it's like a it's it's an issue with men not knowing that there are different roles there's an there's a whole variety of different roles and qualities that they can possess and still be a guy like a man yeah right and similarly for a female too the concept of the tomboy like i love that that's so you know why why is that tomboy it's like it should be tom girl like you know what i mean (laughs) right i i mean usually i don't get caught up in the words but i see where you're going with this yeah yeah girl tomboy 
Yeah, but the the tomboy, the whole entire style, or just not even aesthetically speaking, it's the attitude that this this woman has. You know, there's lack of as a tomboy, we stereotype the tomboy to be someone who's boyish, who lacks you know emotional expression, who is very like very you know very in their own zone, very you know, tough. Yeah. That shouldn't even be, like, a stereotype. You know what I mean? Hmm. Like, a tough woman is just a tough woman. Yeah. And a soft man is just a soft man. You're calling me soft? <laughs> <laughs> I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I hope my words aren't getting all twisted, but No, yeah. no, no. It's fine. So you spoke about uh past relationships that sounded like they're pretty close to the um title uh Sugar Daddy. Um I wanted to speak a little bit about this, okay? Yeah. So it seems like uh it seems like throughout human history this phenomenon has been going on. Right. But it doesn't necessarily align with the way that we think about ourselves. Um but you mentioned something that I always suspected, which is that a balance naturally comes out. Like you can feel right. the difference between exploitation. What is that? Have you ever – have you been on both sides or you feel like you've always handled I've things well? I've definitely been on both sides. So in terms of, again, going back to the college student who has standards but has to fulfill, fulfill sexual desires – you're in the moment you will, you know, enjoy that experience. Um, and I've, you know, I've had situations where I've friend zoned the person the next day. Yeah. Or they feel like they were led on and they felt like the exchange or experience had more significance. Mm. And so when they request for a relationship or attention or respect, um, you give them the respect, of course. But when you say no is when they feel exploited. So it's the idea of changing the past by um, change. Yeah, it's about changing the past in the present. Mm. So you're saying the 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 guys or the these people would change their opinion about what had happened because yeah. you refused to continue things. Yeah. And we all do this every day, every time to make our present situation feel better. It's the whole concept of optimism. It, yeah. Optimism is a way for us to not uh, I mean like not I'm not going to say not deal with, you know, the misfortunes that we had, but it allows us to move on in a healthy way. Yeah. So, for example, um, like you failed a test. In the present moment, you're going to be like, oh, my God, this is horrible. But then you're going to say, um, yeah, sure, I didn't study as much, but, um, but you know, uh, the professor wasn't good. Yeah, start we tend to people. do that. Yeah, All right. So it was because of prof professor. So you know what? Next quarter, I'm gonna get a better professor, and I'm gonna ace a test. Right. When in essence, we're gonna be like, "Hey, um, you failed the test. You didn't study. That's on you. That's your consequence. You're. That's how you're gonna deal with it. You're gonna fail the test. 
and you failed it. But just know that it happened and just accept it for what it is and move on with a better solution. That's how it should be. But because we often um, change the we often change the um, the past. I mean, we change the past to make sure that we feel better in the present. So in this situation, yeah, the guy said or felt that I was taking advantage of him, which is why he was like, no, you're not worth it anymore in his head. But okay, and have you been taken advantage of? Yes, I have. Uh, And I've used the same strategy as well. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And yeah, it's it's bad in the sense that you're villainizing the external party and you don't like to admit. But yeah, it's more about accepting what is. And mm. even in terms of relationships as well. So, what's the ideal for you now moving forward? The ideal for me now moving forward is making sure I don't self-victimize myself in the current relationship that I'm in by feeling exploited and rather seeing it as training grounds to be a more tolerant and compromising person out of sheer love. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's just trying to be honest. Yeah. Try to be honest with everyone. Whatever comes, comes. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Uh, On that note, I'm going to wrap things up with the most important question in the universe. universe. Am I ready for what exactly? Oh, the question. Yeah, I thought you, that was the question. Okay, never mind. Yeah. That should have been, you know what? Yeah, I got (laughs) to stop doing that because it is confusing. Okay, here's the question Mm -hmm. Poke or pinch? Poke. That's right. The Chef of X podcast. Mm, delicious. <laughs>